one little old man showed up. And he tells him, oh, I'm going to have to close, you know, you're the only person that showed up. And the uh, old man said, sir, if you were a real pastor, a real shepherd, and uh, you had a whole flock of sheep, but only one of them came back at the night, would you still feed him when he's hungry? And the pastor said, you better believe it. And he said, sit down. He sat him down, preached the best sermon he'd ever preached in his life. He had all the high points, had all the low points, got done, let a... I even led a uh, hymn of devotion at the end. Went over to the guy and said, how was that? And the guy said, if you had a, or a shepherd and you had a whole flock, but only one showed up, would you still force feed them enough to feed the entire flock? <laughs> <laughs> so, sometimes we can decide, you know, it is what it is. But uh, this is... Um, this is a series that we're going over, and uh, it was weird because when I first had set out, I tried to keep ahead a little bit to help with uh, working the other jobs and stuff like that, and I tried to plan ahead, and this originally, I wasn't going to start the series that I started last week until next week, or the week after next, actually, and this was supposed to be on tithing, which would be my only sermon on tithing for the year. But, um, I decided not, like I said, just things happen, things, and I just, I felt like this was more important. But, um, I'm still going to tell the joke, because I don't know when the tithing one's going to show up again, so I'm still going to tell the joke for the tithing one, because I like it a lot. (laughs) It was that there were three men who decided to take a cruise, and the cruise capsized, and went, and only the three men out of like a thousand people survived and made it onto this desert island. There's only the three of them. The... One man was like, starts crying. He goes, what's the matter? He goes, I have no family, no friends. I have nobody to even know that I'm gone. They're not even going to miss me. And he says, we're dead. Nobody's even going to look. You know, and here we are. The other one, the second guy goes, you know, I lied to the people and told them I was going somewhere else because I didn't want them to know I was taking a vacation and I was just skipping out on my responsibilities. So nobody even knows I'm out here. So nobody knows to look. And the other guy, third guy goes, I don't have to worry about it. I make $100,000 a week. And the guy goes, what does that have to do with anything? We're stuck on a desert island. He goes, you don't understand. I make 100000 a week. And the guy goes, what does that have to do? We have no food, no water, nothing. We're on a desert island. He goes, no, you don't understand. I make $100,000 a week and I'm a faithful tither. My pastor will find me. <laughs> So, yeah, a little accurate. Sometimes the funniest ones are the most accurate ones. But so this week, what we're doing, is we're going to continue in a series called Jesus Is. This is going through the I am statements that Christ made. We're going to go through the all there's seven of them that are, you know, metaphorical speaking. Because, of course, we know that Jesus is the great I am. He is God. But he also made the metaphors of saying what he was. And last week, we went over the fact that Jesus is the bread of life. He's the only thing that it which can fill, that can which truly keep us and truly help us grow and mature through being filled with him at all times. So, this week we have, Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. We're going to be in John chapter 8. 
So John chapter 8, Jesus is the light of the world. This is still during the early part of, of Jesus' ministry as far as John's concerned, of what John's talking about. And this is the point in which Jesus starts to really make his presence known. He starts to make statements that everybody else sees as inflammatory. He, this is when he starts to see that <clears throat> you start to see him tell people, you know, directly, you know, what they're, that they're sinning, that he has the keys to the king. Him and God are one. He is God. And so we're going to start in the 12th verse of the 8th chapter, and we're going to read a bit, as I want to do. Scripture tends to make up a big chunk of what we do. And starting in the 12th verse, it says, and this is directly after the part where he had, the woman was caught in adultery, and he let her go. So then this is, it says then, but it's like, it's probably later in the day or something like that, because he was outside. And this point, he's at the temple. So starting in the 12th verse, it says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. Remember in the law, it says two or three must bear witness for something to be considered factual. It's not enough for you one person to say it, and you can't bear record, and you're not supposed to be able to bear record of yourself. You need people outside of you to bear record. So, they're saying, you're the only one saying this, so it's not true. 14, Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I came and where I go. But ye cannot tell where I come or where I go. Ye judge after the flesh, I judge no man. And he's saying, I haven't even judged yet. I haven't even done anything yet. I haven't, he's, he, he's not making those judgments yet. Because he will. That's in the future. Believe me, he will. But not yet. 16. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bears witness of myself, and the Father that sent me bears witness of me. They said unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Yea, or you neither know me nor my father. If you had known me, you should have known my father also. These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Then Jesus said again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whether, where I go, you cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he says, Where I go, you cannot come. And he said unto them, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you, that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he... He, ye shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus said unto him, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak 
to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood that he spoke of them of the, to them of the Father. Then Jesus said unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has sent me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I do myself those things that please him. And he, and, and as he spake these words, many believed on him. So there's a lot in there, but I want the main focus to be on the fact that Jesus is making it very clear that truth is true whether you want to believe it or not. There is an objective moral truth. There is objective right and wrong whether you accept it or not. And he is saying, I am proclaiming those things. And because I proclaim the truth, what I say is true. And then when they ask him about the witnesses, he says, I speak of myself, and it's still true. He's saying, I have the authority to do so. He had authority to speak of himself, and it, in his mind, counts as being a witness. He is a witness. He was a witness to all things, from the beginning to the end, he's a witness. And then for anybody who ever doubts the Trinity, just point out the fact that he says that the Father is a second witness. So if the Father wasn't, if there isn't a distinction between the Trinity, then the Father wouldn't be a second witness. If it was just one appearing. But the Trinity, which is a tricky thing, the Trinity exists. We know that it exists. How does it work necessarily? We don't necessarily know. But we know that it exists because it's spoken about in Scripture. And we know that God said, me and Father, Father God in heaven both bear witness. And that's two records. He says that's two records. So, he's saying that what I say is true. And what did he say? He says that I am the light of the world, and those who walk in me shall never walk in darkness. Amen. Now, we see in that last verse, in 30, it says, And as he spake these words, many believed on him. That's a... That's where I want to really focus in this. Is that as, as I looked at this, I was thinking about Jesus is the light of the world. And there's never been, there's no truer statement than that. Because we live in a society today where even people who are atheists, even people who don't accept any of what we believe, they're still experiencing the light of Christ. When Christ came, he split time in half, one side on one and one on the other. We are, are still benefiting from his coming 2,000 years later. We're still experiencing, even people who don't believe, there are atheists out there who will argue there is no good and bad. How can you have good and bad if you don't have an objective source? You can't, but we do. We do. And we can walk in either darkness or we can walk in the light. Amen. 
Jesus is that light. His words are true. His words, we saw last week, are the very epitome of life. To be full of Jesus' words, to be full of what he says to do, is to live abundantly. To have that life. But he is the light of the world. It's darkness without him. He created all things. When this place came into existence, there was darkness. There was only him. And he said, let there be light. He, he brings the light to us. We are, we are illuminated through it. The reason why I want to point this out is that because there are, again, atheists who even acknowledge, there's atheists who are, who are experts in Greek. And they'll say, yeah, we believe Jesus existed. He was a good man, lived a long time ago. He did his thing. Buddhists, they have no problem with Jesus. They like Jesus. Yeah, he's a great guy. He preached all kinds of love and, and living good life. Jews, who they're still waiting for their Messiah. He wasn't our Messiah, but he was a good guy. We, we thought he was a good guy. Sure. They'll say they believe God and Jesus. They'll say, we believe Jesus. Sure. But what they mean is they, they believe a part of Jesus, an aspect of Jesus. They like the loving words that he says. They like certain things that he says. They don't like the exclusivity of Jesus. Because while Jesus did, in fact, say, you know, feed the poor, clothe those, take care of the widows, don't, you know, repay evil for evil. He says these things, but what does he also say? John 14, 6, he said, no man comes to the Father but through me. It's exclusive. He is the only way. There is one way, and that's it. He is exclusive. Well, they don't like that part, do they? They might like the other part, but they don't like that part. So when it says that they believed on him, we're going to look at three aspects of belief. Three levels of belief, if you will. When I was studying this, I was shocked at the number of people who don't necessarily like to look at the concept of I think it's one thing to walk in the light, but it's another thing to believe in the light, to believe in it, to, to really want that light. It's, yeah, when you're missing the light, you say, oh, where'd the light go? But there's another thing to really desire the light, to want the light. Because a lot of times the light illuminates things in aspects of ourselves we're not too happy about, that we don't like. Well, do you still want the light then, even when it's shining on the dark spot that you don't necessarily want to talk about? Do you want it then? Do you really believe on Jesus? So we're going to look at this, and we're going to look how that I feel there are three levels of belief. There is believe Jesus. It's an imperfect faith. We all have an imperfect faith. We can't be perfect. We have nothing we can do. But all Jesus really asks for is for us to believe in him. To believe what he's doing. To believe his word. He said, believe my word. If we believe that Christ came, died, rose again three days, finished the work on the cross, ascended to heaven, that's all you need. You're yeah. saved. Yeah. You can't explain it. I don't know how it worked. I don't. I tell you all the time. I have a grandmother, beautiful woman, prayed every day of her life, 
would read the Bible every day of her life, ask her a question, I don't know, I don't know how it works, but it does. Simple faith. Simple faith. Just don't know, I don't know, but it works. I don't know how he did it, but he changed me. Yeah. I don't know how it works, but it works, I, I promise you. Yeah. Simple faith. That's all it takes to get saved. All God is asking for, really, is to be the type of Christians that makes other people want to believe. Yeah. He's not saying, it's not, again, I say all the time, we can't get anybody saved. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We can't do it if we wanted to. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But we can be the type of person that makes them say, I wonder what he believes. I wonder why he believes. I wonder what's going on over there. There's something different about that. Amen. That's all it takes. Amen. It takes just get that foot in the door. Get that foot in the door. See, the thing is, Satan's just, just, Satan's just as crafty. All he does is get that foot in the door. And then he wedges that door open Amen. and he gets in eventually. Right. It might take a long time, but he will. Satan comes and presents himself as an angel of light. Right. He presents himself. Why? Because Satan is the false. Whatever God does, Satan does an evil version. He does a, he's an imitator. He, he will present himself. Oh, that's okay. I can do this. That's not that bad. Get that foot in. Once he has that foot in, that's Amen. all he needs. Amen. But you know what's crazy is he's just imitating the original. He's just imitating the spirit. All you got to do is get that little foot in. And once you got that foot in, the Holy Spirit will go to work. The Holy Spirit will go to work and start softening hearts and start working on minds and start bringing up questions and thoughts. It's not very difficult for us to do because the spirit does all the work. So, it's an imperfect faith. Just believe in Jesus. That's all it takes to get saved. And there were all kinds of people running around this world that that's all they got. Some because that's all they have. They're just, either they're not called for very much. They can't handle very much more. Maybe they're just the type of person that they're not supposed to be proclaiming it. They're just supposed to be living it. God needs all kinds. God created the guy who's the foreman, just like he created the guy who's the worker. Sometimes your job is to just put your head down and be the worker. That's what you do. But we also have believe on Jesus. Believe on Jesus. And the words of Isaiah, he says, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone, a sure foundation. Isaiah says a foundation. Apostle Peter comments, he that believes on him shall not be confounded, not be upheaved, not be thrown over. There, the thoughts presented are the position that of the building, you can only build on a sure, solid foundation. And so in this case, we're talking about using Jesus as a foundation to build upon, believing on him. Not just believe he did, but now saying he says, if you make me the Lord of your life, things will get better. Things You can grow things. You can have a ministry you never thought you could have. Or you can just go places and do things you never thought you could do. Because you have that foundation. You're not standing on yeah. the sand. You're not yeah. standing on a place of shifting of, of a foundation. You're on the rock. Yeah. So believing on Jesus as that firm foundation that which you can stand upon. 
but that you can be upon, that you can build upon. You can build a life on Jesus. And that life will have so much more significance than just belief. Believing on. That when he says, I am that firm foundation, I'm the cornerstone that they reject. He's right. He's right. If you build upon the rock, you don't have to worry about the foundation. You can grow. You can build. You can love live and have a level of excitement about what God is going to bring your way, even if it's kind of that scary excitement. It's a little bit scary because you don't know what's next, but you know something's coming. Sometimes that's how God works. You don't know what it is. You just know you have to take the step. And I use this example. Imagine if you're in a dark room, all pitch black, no light at all, and there's just a spotlight in the center, this little spotlight. And all you see is that circle, and you're in that circle. God calls you to take the step into this dark world. And when you take the step, the light will come with you. You go up to the edge, you can't see beyond that spotlight. That step, you're stepping into blackness. You're stepping into this world. You're stepping into darkness. And you say, but God, I can't see the step. You don't have to see the step. Have faith that where you're going to step I've already laid a foundation. I've already laid a rock. I've already laid the foundation. You're not going to step into nothing. You're going to step out into Jesus. He has that foundation for you. That's faith. That's faith. You take that step even when you can't see it. You take it because he is that firm foundation. That's belief on Jesus. Now we have belief into Jesus. The reason why I use this is because when looking it up, I noticed that there's the different translations of the Bible use different words. Some say, most say in. One or two say on. Both are accurate translations in the sense that, you know, verse 30 where it says they believed in him, on him. That's an accurate translation in English, because English has variables. You can say the same thing in a couple different ways, and it means the same thing. So there's, there's really no issue with the translation. But I realize the word in, there in the Greek is ice. Ice comes from meaning in. It actually comes from, like, it derives sort of from, to say, like, if you threw a rock into a cave... There's an opening there. There's space inside going in to something. So when looking that up, I found somebody, which I love to do, two, three hundred years that noticed the same thing. (laughs) Two, three hundred years ago, he's writing the same thing. So I read everything he had to say. And I'm like, you know what? I like it. So I'm taking it. (laughs) Believe into Jesus is what he said. Believe into Jesus. This is a very remarkable expression because it has a certain harshness in the English language. It doesn't sound quite right. Quite right. It believe in, sure. Believe on, sure. Believe into, Jesus. Doesn't sound quite right. But it needs to sound that way because there needs to be an understanding of the doubleness of what's being said in the passage And the way that this can be taken. See, into Jesus, think growing 
think growing into Jesus, progress, progressing in Jesus. Think yearning to get closer to Jesus. As a marriage, two people grow into a marriage. They grow to want each other. They might have a desire for each other, and then as soon as they get together, they say, wow, this person's really messed up. I don't know if I want to be with this person anymore. (laughs) We're pretty messed up, and Jesus still says, come on, come on in. And then you have to learn to grow, to love that person, to feel out the different aspects of that person, to really understand what it is to em- that person embodies, what they, f- wh- who they are, what their essence, who they are as peoples, and how that you can experience them more than just physically, but emotionally, spiritually, how you can be with that person and be one with that person. The same situation works with Jesus. Jesus is inviting us into a relationship that is closer than anything we could ever have on this mm-hmm. earth. And he wants us to grow into him. He wants us to yearn for him, to desire him, to want to understand the deep mysteries of him, to to continue throughout all of our life to strive for that closeness. We're imperfect, so we'll never get there. It'll be a continuous process. But when you think of Jesus, you think, man, I just want more. I want more. Man. Or are you thinking, well, I, that's enough. He saved me. That's enough. <laughs> I got some people. That's all they can take. No. Again, some people, that's all they can handle. Good. You go deeper. It's too much. But I think Jesus calls us to want to fall into him, to, to want to literally experience him with every single breath we take, everything we do We desire Jesus to be like him, to be in him, to grow in a way that we can experience him in a newness every day. Because we as people are changing and growing and striving for this. I want to continue reading only in John, starting in the 30th, John 8, starting in the 30th verse. And I want to read this just to understand this because people who believe on Jesus are saved. They're saved. As John Wesley said, famously said once, saved in an instant, regenerated over time. I mean, it's going to be a process from that point on. So, think of that in your mind when we say this, starting in 30. It says, And as he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to the Jews, which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So make you free. 33 says, They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How says you, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abides not in the house forever, but the son abides forever. If the son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. We can be saved, but still be in bondage. We can be saved and still have this world ripping onto us. 
but you want to be free of the world. Yeah. We're all still working on it. We're all in different places on this. But, but if you want to be free, you need to go into something. Because you're going to be into something. Are you going to be into this world? Or are you going to be into Jesus? If you're going to leave this world, you need to step into something. If you're going to spiritually leave your servanthood, your slave to this world, you need to step into something. Jesus said, you'll have two masters. It can either be man or it can be God. It can be money or it can be God. It can be any of these things on earth. Which one are you going to choose? Which one do you want? Because Paul, one of the great men of, of, of faith, just pure faith that Paul had, he said, I am a slave to Christ. I am a slave yeah. to God. It is no longer me. It is Christ who works through me and in me. Paul understood that for him to continue, he had to give up. He had to just give up and go into Christ, go into God. And this was somebody, Paul, who, who goes on and on about all of his failings, all the things he failed at, all the things he wanted to do but couldn't, all the things he wanted to get rid of the flesh but couldn't. He still strove for that closeness with Jesus. First Peter 2 and 9 says, But ye are chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. You can be saved, and that's it. You can be saved and start to build on that foundation and believe on Jesus. Or you can strive and believe into Jesus. Get into Jesus. Make Jesus the objective of every single day. Make him, make closeness with him be your ultimate. I pray and read the Bible before I go to bed. I can't do it in the morning because I'm too tired. I can't do it. I just can't. So it's the last thing I do before I go to sleep. And there are times where I'm sitting there and I'm just like, just, I just want to sit down with Jesus so badly. I just want to leave this place where I'm at and just go. I'm working. It's 11 o'clock at night. And I just want to go home, sit down, and just get to read, read and try to be close to Jesus. I'm so done with this world. Just give me more and more Jesus. I fought him for a long time. I fought him for the vast majority of my life. Just give me more Jesus. If the only time I've ever felt alive is with Jesus, give me more Jesus. I pray with you that that becomes your motto, that you want just more and more and more of him. Alexander McLaren, who's who I stole that concept, believe into Jesus, wrote, To be in Christ is the sum of all blessedness, all righteousness, all peace, and all power. To be in Jesus, wedded to him by the conjunction of will and desire, wedded to him in the oneness of believing and obedience of life. To be in Christ is life. To be out of him is death. In him, we have redemption. In him, we have wisdom. We have truth. We have peace. 
righteousness, hope, confidence. To be in him is to be in grace. We enter by faith. Faith is not the acceptance merely of words. But it is the reliance of our soul on him. The flight of our soul toward him. And the continuing, continued dwelling of our soul in him. May it be Jesus every day, more and more. Why? Because we're called out of this world of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's pray.